everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by Kathy Fecky. Kathy, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I'm so grateful for these data companies that are willing to share all the work that they do with, with us for free. It's just, I feel so lucky. It is one of the perks of the job. I mean, most of these reports are free to everyone, but I love that we just get to pick people's brains about them. And today we are going to be talking with Molly Basil, who is an economist at CoreLogic. If you're not familiar with CoreLogic, it is a really big, reputable data provider. And her and her team just put out the Homeowner Equity Insight Report, which goes into really interesting information about just how much wealth Americans are holding in their homes. Kathy, what are you eager to talk to Molly about? Oh my gosh, so many things, but uh, just uh, just home equity alone, like, is this normal? It, has this happened before? Is it going to happen again? I mean, those are questions people have. <laughs> so much data from the last few years is anomalous. It's just not normal. And so it's really important when you're reading these reports or doing your own market research to understand if what happened over the last few years is likely to continue, or is that a one and done kind of thing, or perhaps it's likely to reverse. And so Molly's report is going to get into this extremely important topic of home equity. And I think you'll learn a ton about how all of this pent up equity is really impacting the housing market and may impact your investing decisions in the years to come. So with that, let's bring on Molly Basil from CoreLogic. Molly Basil, welcome to On The Market. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Molly, can you tell us just a little bit about your job at CoreLogic? Oh, sure. So at CoreLogic, I'm in the office of the chief economist. I'm a principal economist. I'm looking at all sorts of housing and mortgage trends, uh, how they drive the CoreLogic business, how they drive our customers' business. Uh, in particular, the last uh, few years, I've been looking at the rental market quite a bit because it's you know kind of like 40% of the housing market. So um, particular interest in that. And has that changed? I'm just curious, the uh, percentage of homeownership versus renter? You know, after the Great Recession, the percent of homeownership went down a little bit, um, but it's it's been pretty steady around 60, 65%. So, so down a little bit from a tie, but, you know, roughly, I think um, census puts that out, the last number they had was 63%. That's kind of remarkable considering everything we've gone through, right? Well, I mean, home ownership is really one of the um, biggest wealth building uh, things a person can do uh, in their life. So I think we're, you know, we'll get into more on that. But, you know, that's one of the key benefits of home ownership is, you know, just building that wealth. Well, I do want to get into your report that goes a lot into how much wealth people uh, talk about. But actually, before now, I just wanted to ask you, giving Kathy's good question, what do you make of these reports? I don't know if you've seen these sort of news articles that say, like, we're, we're now the renter nation, you know, or that we're turning into this renter nation. What do you make of that narrative? So I think when people think of renter nation, they think you got a lot of younger households are coming, you know, forming their new households, becoming renters, and they can't afford to buy something right now, right? Uh, a lot of times because um, two things: one, um, home prices hit <laughs> keep hitting new highs; they're not going down. So, and um, interest rates are so high that you know it just makes that monthly payment uh, less affordable. But you know, like I said before, we we still have about sixty three percent. 
home ownership rate, it's been holding pretty steady at that over the last um, 10 years. So not really becoming a renter nation, but I, I can see where people are going with that. And there's a lot of single family investors uh, in the market. So buying up uh, single family properties, holding onto them and renting them out. Um, so there's a lot of news about that as well. So that 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 feeds that kind of uh, narrative about a renter nation. You know, there's a lot of talk that this that it's never been so unaffordable to buy a home. And I've been around for decades and I've seen times when it was pretty bad. Um, would you say this is the worst? Yeah, well, we look at something we um, call the typical mortgage payment. So that's if you want to take that median priced home, look at just 20% down, you know, what what we call a plain vanilla type of loan, you know, 30 year loan, and how much would that monthly payment be? And then you want to inflation adjust that because, you know, people's income grows over time. So we did hit one of the worst, uh, for the, uh, highest monthly payments back in uh, right before the Great Recession. So in 2006, and then we had home prices falling after that, we had interest rates going very, very low. Um, and then as home prices were increasing while things were recovering and interest rates were still incredibly low, that kept the monthly payments very low. You know, all that reversed when we had mortgage rates head up six, seven, eight percent recently. And that monthly payment, yeah, typical monthly payment did reach an all time high in 20, um, mid 2023. So, you know, that'll be coming down a little bit as uh, mortgage rates, uh, uh, thankfully, have started to fall again. Well, that is one side of the rapid appreciation that we've seen over the last couple of years that things are now becoming a unaffordable relatively for people who don't yet own a home or are aspiring to buy a home. But the other side of that is it has also led to an enormous amount of wealth building for those who do own homes. And your most recent report, the Homeowner Equity Insight Report, goes deep into that. So can you just tell us a little bit about the scope and purpose of this report? So what we want to do is track home equ homeowner equity. So how much equity have homeowners built up? So a little fun fact, when we released this report back, first released this report back in 2010, it was a negative equity report because that's really what everyone was concerned about back then. Negative equity was about... It's like about a quarter of all borrowers were underwater, meaning they owed more on their home than it was worth. You know, and that's that led to all you know sorts of problems. So, you know, over time though, the concern really dropped about negative equity. In our current report, uh, negative equity is about one point nine percent. I kind of like to go out an extra decimal point and say one point eight five percent because you know it's a little lower than last quarter, um, but that's down from twenty five to one point nine percent. So we're really not worried about negative equity anymore. We're we're like thinking about home equity, and the reason you want to think about home equity is what if a borrower gets in trouble with their payments? They get behind on their payments. They get maybe six months behind on their payments. Let's say if they've got a sufficient cushion. Um, you know, it would be unfortunate they'd need to sell their home, but they would sell it instead of losing it to foreclosure. And then they may even have some pros, they would have definitely enough left to, um, from the sale to pay for the mortgage. Um, and then maybe even some left over from that. But the key is they won't be losing it to foreclosure and they won't uh, be having the foreclosure on their credit report. So, you know, that's a really important part of, make of home equity. 
And that's why uh, one of the reasons why uh, we want to track that. Yeah, that equity is a huge cushion from a potential crash happening. How much equity on average do do homeowners? I mean, I'm sure it's different everywhere, but when, on average. So if you look at on average, the average borrower has uh, our last report, I think it was $304,000 Whoa. of home equity. It's a lot. Yeah. So that's a lot. So that the, um, you know, if you look at their loan to value ratio, it's it's under 50%. Hmm. Um, so, you know, they've got a lot of cushion built up there. Um, but that's nationally, it does vary from all the way <laughs> from 1.2 million in, uh, you know, San Francisco and San Rafael down to about a hundred thousand in, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. Is that a record in equity growth? Yeah, I think it is. It is a record in, uh, the amount of average equity. Definitely. Uh, we started to hit you know, prices were softening a little uh, at some point in 2023 from last year. Um, they did go down in some places, um, but but not by much. But, you know, that's all kind of reverse direction. And um, equity did uh, start to head back up again. But even when it did decline a little bit in the second quarter, it, it was still almost $300,000 per borrower. Wow. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash pockets. Fundrise.com slash pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One of the things that I get a lot of questions about personally is about the risk of a foreclosure event or crisis similar to what happened during the financial crisis. Can you help our audience understand why this level of home equity helps insulate against foreclosures or potential foreclosures? You know, this was a big topic, especially right when the pandemic hit and we had all the um, 
well, delinquency shot up, obviously, um, and those lower uh, borrowers were in forbearance. But as that forbearance came off, uh, you know, there was some worry that foreclosures would start. Well, that, that hasn't happened. One thing is the um, job market has been great. You know, we still have uh, really strong job growth, um, very low unemployment rate. When you have people employed and making money, they are typically paying their mortgages. So, you know, that's one thing. The delinquency rates are just incredibly low. Um, but if the borrower should go into, um, let's say, you know, later later stages of delinquency, and even if a bank should um, start the foreclosure process, um, they, the the borrower would have the option to sell their home uh, and and pay off that mortgage. So, you know, I'm given the example of um, I looked I looked into this a little bit because I thought, wow, some of these metros have some really low average equity, you know, low, right, $100,000. But in um, even these places with $100,000 average equity, their average outstanding balance is about $100,000. So again, they've got that 50 uh, loan to value ratio. So, you know, they got plenty of equity in there should they run into trouble with their uh, payments. Obviously, people who bought 10 years ago are enjoying the growth but we had a lot of buyers just over the past few years who, who couldn't possibly have that much equity, could they? No, no. Right. So um, they they do have uh, lower amounts of equity, mm-hmm. uh, but they but they still have a, a cushion. They still have their because prices have been rising. Um, they still have their down payment uh, amount uh, and then a little bit of equity. Um, prices went up about five percent over the last year. So they still have that uh, appreciation. Is there any cohort to follow up on Kathy's question that has negative equity on average? Like I would imagine if people bought in August of 2020, June to August of 2022 or anything like that. Uh, You know, I haven't looked in the most recent uh, quarter of purchases, so I don't really have a good answer for that. Some of the borrowers with the least amount of equity are actually those ones um, still from right before the Great Recession. Wow. Uh, they just, some of them still have not quite recovered. Molly, how do you think the combination of high homeowner equity alongside the lock-in effect, whereas mortgages are, you know, I heard earlier today, the average mortgage right now is around three and a half percent or something like that. How do you think those two things together are impacting the overall health of the housing market. Wow, you know, there's just some spillover effects there. I so see you say, hey, yeah, you know, I've got all this great equity. I got a low mortgage rate. I'm sitting pretty, but what if I want to move, right? <laughs> you know, um, I, I uh, about, I think it's around 85% of, bar- of mortgages have interest rates under 5%. So, you know, that's, you know, we're not even close to a 5% mortgage right now, but let's say you were around 5% and you thought, okay, maybe I'll move and get a 6.5% mortgage. That's still quite a big increase in your payment, right? Uh, so that, you know, sitting on that low mortgage rate, you know, makes it a, a lot less attractive to move. Okay, so what might you do instead? Well, you might stay in your house and renovate, right? So you've got uh, a lot of equity in your home. You could take out a home equity loan, have a home equity line of credit. Um, home equity lines of credit are tax, the interest is tax deductible if you use that on your home for renovation. And the interest is tax deductible if you use that 
to purchase a home, purchase another home. You know, we talked about renters, right? <laughs> so we have uh, we have this investor report we put out. There are some homeowners, which you might be calling, I don't know if you want to call them accidental investors or however you want to put that. They want to move to another area. They're sitting on a lot of home equity. So they don't necessarily sell their current house. Uh, they keep that low mortgage rate, take out a home equity loan, rent out the current property they're in, and then buy something else with the um, home equity they have. So, you know, we have seen some um, pretty large increases in uh, investor purchases. So that could be um, one of the reasons uh, investors are increasing. I wonder how many new investors are out there, first time landlords. Yeah, definitely. And that does kind of hold, well, you know, if you want to think about housing as um, for sale and for rent, you know, it keeps the supply, you know, at the same. But if you're thinking of somebody who wants to buy a home, uh, that does uh, help contract the for sale supply. So which markets, everybody loves this question, but which markets have seen the, the, the highest equity growth? Yeah. So some places, you know, we talk about the, on average, the nation has about $300,000 uh, or borrowers have $300,000 in home equity. Some places have you know, quadruple that San Rafael, California, San Francisco, California, about one two point one point two million dollars in equity. See, that's even hard to say. It's such a big number, right? <laughs> um, so that that's astronomical, right? Um, keep in mind their average outstanding mortgage uh, amount is about six hundred thousand um, dollars. So about double uh, the amount um, equity. But um, wow. You know, they could take that $1.2 million. <laughs> Go live anywhere, right? That actually has some spillover effects. You know, we're talking about how does this impact the housing market um, in general. That has some spillover effects. You have people, the out-migration from parts, very expensive parts of the country is pretty high. So you have out-migration from San Francisco, San Rafael, to some less expensive parts of the country. They cash in the $1.2 million, pay off their mortgage, they move to somewhere a lot cheaper, can certainly afford a nice home there, but that drives up the prices for everyone who was already in those cheaper areas to begin with. So that's another distortion from home equity. You know, we think about all the great things home equity has uh, does for everyone. You know, for owners, it's great. Um, for those who aren't benefiting from it, it, it can have a lot of distortions. Yeah, I mean, we have... A lot of listeners who are landlords or who are people who would like to get their first property, whether it's a rental or just for their home. Right. Um, so what about them? Obviously, homeowners are doing great, making lots of money, low payments. What about those who don't own? You know, it, it, is, it is tough. Uh, home prices, uh, highest they've ever been. Mortgage rates, still pretty high. Uh, I think borrower or someone who's looking for a home has to, you know, wait until they find something they want. Uh, they really want to stay in because they might need to stay there long enough to, you know, build that equity. Also stay there long enough. Uh, you know, mortgage rates are going to go down next year. So stay there long enough that, you know, a few years where they can refinance. But um, it, it is getting a lot tougher. I agree. Molly, you're the most confident person I've heard say that mortgage rates are going to go down next year. So now I need to ask you why you're so confident. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, the, you know, we've had some great news on mortgage rates in the last week. Um, I, I think uh, everything kind of turned last week when the Fed, um, you know, they didn't change their stance, but they just reiterated, you know, hey, maybe we're not going to raise the federal funds rate again. 
but we're not going to lower it anytime soon, but we are going to lower it next year two or three times. And I think that was the first time the markets have heard that message. Um, it's been, you know, kind of, they've been stating sort of the same thing, but it was, I guess you may say a more dovish uh, message. Um, and then, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel, hey, this is actually coming. And it's all because inflation is coming down um, and inflation is expected to keep going down uh, into next year. And when the Fed sees that inflation is down around, you know, close to that 2% mark that they uh, are uh, targeting, then they'll feel uh, confident to lower uh, interest rates. Uh, we've also seen because a little of that uncertainty was removed, we've seen that spread between the, the short-term rates and the long-term rates, the uh, 30-year rate uh, fall a little bit. So that's helped mortgage rates come down a bit as well. So it'll be there. It'll it'll happen. It's starting to happen now. And uh, by the end of next year, they'll be a lot lower than what they are now. Not, you know, they're not going to be down to 5% anytime soon. That lock-in effect is going to take a long time to, to come out, but we will see some uh, refinancing uh, by the end of next year. That brings up two questions I wanted to ask you, Molly. First, yeah, let's just talk about refinancing. I was just looking a minute ago, I pulled up a chart that shows just how far refinance activity has fallen. Um, it is the lowest point uh, I really have seen since around the year 2000. Yeah. Um, it has jumped up a little bit for the, over the last two weeks. So people are a little bit more encouraged. But do you think given all of the equity that's trapped in these homes that as mortgage rates fall, we're going to see an uptick, you know, a resurgence in the refinance market? Because this has really hurt mortgage originations and mortgage companies over the last two years. Yeah. So I think who you'll see refinancing is those uh, those people who are those borrowers that just recently took out mortgages. Mm -hmm. um, we've got about two million, I'd say, borrowers who took out mortgages in the last um, year who have mortgage rates above uh, 6.5%. Okay. So once mortgage rates get down, you know, to low sixes, five and a half, that's who you're going to see um, refinancing. It's not necessarily going to be the the borrowers who have, you know, the, the um, $300,000 in equity, we have the, those newer borrowers. So obviously the lack of affordability has forced a lot of people into renting. It's what, like 40% cheaper or something to rent than to own today. But that's like you said, that's going to get better. But when I talk to some people or when I read in the show notes or the, in the messages, people saying, oh, you're, you know, you're crazy to buy a property today at these prices. You know, you're giving people bad advice because, you know, they're going to lose all their money when, when prices come down. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So, well, I think. First of all, you know, it, it you don't necessarily want to look at the um, home purchase as uh, an invest, like a short-term investment, right? Mm -hmm. um, they need to stay there for the long term. And you're right. They need to see where prices are going. Um, is this an area where prices are falling? You know, oh, maybe they want to wait a little bit. Um, but if prices are kind of stabilizing as it looks like they are, um, you know, it they're not really going to go down. So when, when are they going to buy, right? It, just never, or are they going to just do it now and, um, you know, stay there a while and let the equity build up? I, I think there's this belief that, you know, there's cycles and when home prices hit a peak, then the next cycle would be down. And especially when there's talk of a potential recession, even though it could be a soft one, a soft landing. Um, that's what I keep hearing. And 
And I, I just, again, would love your, I think you just explained that. It depends on the market. Yeah. But there's been a lot of people waiting on the sidelines and not seeing prices come down and missing out. Right. And and really, because all the people are on the sidelines, um, that keeps the potential demand high. Um, and the supply is pretty tight. So when you, if you want to think about back to, you know, that great recession, we had a kind of the opposite going on. You know, we had a lot of people purchasing, but uh, we had a lot of supply on the market. You know, new home uh, construction was really high. There was a lot, just a lot of supply. Um, so really oversupplied, um, not that situation now. So you got these people on the sideline, just, the, you know, they're not going to all jump in at once. Um, so that's why we're not thinking that, um, you know, if you look at, um, like all the different home sales forecasts, they're pretty flat over this next couple of years, you know, up a little bit next year, a little bit more the year after, um, but all pretty flat. And that's just because you're going to see this slow um, decrease in mortgage rates. And then those, you know, potential buyers on the sidelines just starting to slowly come in as the, as you see some supply uh, loosen up in some areas. So new construction can produce a supply. Um, you have some, small zoning changes in some areas that'll produce little supply. And then you have just, you know, retirees just again, you know, um, incrementally releasing a little bit of that supply. That that makes sense to me, Molly, this sort of like slow pickup in home prices. I'm wondering, you know, your report shows that home equity grew 96% over the last decade, which is shocking. Do you think this is like a, a once in a generation thing? Like, in my opinion, correct me if you think differently, that like the zero interest rate policy thing, probably not happening again. Um, and no, so, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> while it was great for anyone who owned property then, and I do expect home prices to go up because home prices went up even before the zero interest rate policy. But do you think it's important to like, temper expectations or like do you think this could happen again where home prices double in 10 years okay so let's go first yeah the zero interest rate policies just we talk about this all the time it's probably not coming back um what so what can you hope for on a mortgage rate um bottom i don't know five percent yeah that's a good mortgage rate that's a good mortgage rate right um so right we're not going to head back to that and are we going to see home prices um head back up you know, who knows, but probably not. Right? I mean, think about what had to happen this time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think anybody wants to repeat that. Right. Um, <laughs> not me, <yeah>, so, <laughs> but you know, no one foresaw that coming either. So, um, but most likely that we're not going to see a repeat of this, what you said, 96% increase in home equity. And do you have any Molly, any, indicators or things that you think help identify markets that may see above average equity growth in the future? I think was, you know, you want to look at um, migration patterns. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of people moving to Florida still Uh, last year. It had some of the highest uh, population growth in the country. So uh, my, uh, migration patterns, population growth, and where the jobs are going. Uh, when people you know, move to a new location, first thing they're probably going to do is, um, well, they're going to relocate, right? If they have to go into work. So that's another thing that's up 
sort of for debate, but say they need to show up to work. Um, they're going to move to their new location. Maybe they'll rent for a little bit, but they'll probably be looking to, to buy a home. So that that's where you see that demand coming online. That's where I would expect prices to go to keep going up. Yeah, places where there's um, job growth, wage growth, and and still some kind of affordability compared to California or New York. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, Molly, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you sharing your insights and research with us. If people want to grab your report or any of your other work, where should they do that? Oh, right. It's really simple. Go on CoreLogic.com and we have all of our reports up there. That is very simple. Thank you. That's very simple. <laughs> well, thank you, Molly. We appreciate your time. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. The show is produced by Kaylin Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all of this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.